Well, good morning and welcome to everyone here and those joining us with our online campus, our Bush Lake and West Tonka campuses. It's so good to be together. My name is Zach. If I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, and I have the joy of serving as one of the pastors here at Westwood. And today we are wrapping up our series on Ephesians. And I don't know about you, but I have just loved the last six weeks as we've really began to dig into God's word and allow his word to change and transform our lives. But to get us started today, I wanted to really ask a question to to really kick us off. And that question is this. When it comes to conflict, is your posture fight or flight? All right, think about that. You know, some of you, I'm I'm seeing you right now. You're kind of leaning over to your spouse, maybe elbowing them right now, okay? Maybe some of you are kind of shrinking down in your chairs a little bit. When it comes to conflict, though, do you love it, right? Do you welcome it? Are you like seeking conflict out? Or when it comes to conflict, are you like, no, I don't want any part of it, okay? I'm going to avoid it as best I can. Okay, my, my desire is not to really give the merits to one position or the other. But what I do believe is that we as people, we face conflict every single day. Okay, now it might not be a conflict that's really what I call a physical conflict, like a conflict right in front of our eyes that we see and feel, but I would assert to us that we actually face the ripple effects of what I call a cosmic conflict. It's what we might call spiritual warfare that happens in us on a day-to-day basis. And I think that it's true. We've, we've seen really the, the ripple effects of this cosmic conflict take root in our lives, uh, even today. You know, you think about the, the last few years that we've navigated and that we've experienced. And maybe for some of us, when we think about our mental health coming out of COVID and, and all the shutdowns and lockdowns and all of that, you think about your mental health and it's like, you know what, maybe I, my life is characterized by anxiety, by fear, or by loneliness. I, I would argue that that is a ripple effect of the cosmic conflict that we are facing. Or maybe about our relationships. Okay, whenever you think about your relationships, it's not characterized by unity, but rather division. Okay, there's division in your family, with your friends, maybe in your neighborhood or at work. And I would say this is a ripple effect of the cosmic conflict going on all around us. Or we think about our usage of technology. Technology isn't evil in and of itself, uh, but because we've relied so heavily on our phones and our tablets over the last two years, uh, maybe for some of us, we've gotten everything that we need out of that. And it's kind of this idea of like, I've got all I need. I'm I'm perfectly self-sustained on my own. I can go at it on my own. Why do I need other people? We completely disregard community. And I think that that is one of the greatest lies in our day and age today. Uh, this sort of lone ranger lifestyle that it's just me, myself, and I. I don't need other people. That is a result, I believe, of the cosmic conflict and the ripple effects of that. Or when we do think about our devices and our tech and anything else, because we've become so dependent upon it, it has built within us habits and maybe lifestyles, and we've given into temptation, that if we're honest with ourselves, we know that those habits and lifestyles aren't healthy for us, and they're not conducive for growth in our lives. And so it's because of all of these situations and many, many more that I want us to look at this one question today, which is this, how can I stand boldly whenever fear, temptation, or even the cosmic conflict arises? Okay, when we think about this, how can I stand boldly whenever fear or temptation or this spiritual warfare, this cosmic conflict arises in my life and our life? It rises all around us. And so to answer this question, We're going to be digging into the final chapter of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6. And for those of you who know your Bibles, this is the passage that talks about the armor of God. And as we walk through Ephesians 6, 10 through 20, 
we'll really see three key movements, three key points. First of all, when it comes to standing boldly, we, we have to have an awareness. We have to have an awareness of what's going on around us, but also an awareness of how to step into it. Second, we're going to see armor, uh, that we're called to put on the armor of God. And then third, we're going to see an appeal, an appeal that we can make each and every day. So an awareness, armor, and an appeal. And so what I want to do is I want to invite you to pull out your engagement cards or pull out a journal. We've got a lot of ground to cover today. Uh, There's a little bit of section for uh, teaching notes there on the backside. But let's just dive into this first point, which deals with the awareness of what we have before us. And once again, the author is the Apostle Paul. He says these words in Ephesians 6, 10. He says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Okay, like we could kind of just like sit on that one verse right there and just be like done for the day. Like, all right, let's just close in prayer, everyone. All right, sit in his mighty power. But he continues on. He says this, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Okay, so when we look at this verse, this passage right here, there's so much to pull out, but I want to highlight one observation right away. Uh, You see, it's it's this idea in verse 12. Paul says, our struggle, it's not against flesh and blood, but it's against the powers and the principalities. And I think though a lot of times in our lives, we actually misapply verse 12 to our lives. Because what we end up doing is we're saying, well, uh, for the struggle is against flesh and blood. Uh, That's how we live our lives. But what we ultimately know, we have to understand the greatest tactic in spiritual warfare is for us to be fighting against ourselves, that that flesh and blood is fighting against one another. Because if we can be distracted and detracted from what the actual enemy is, we'll have no energy and no focus to actually fight the real battle that is before us. And so what is it that Paul is getting at? He's saying your, your battle, your struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers and against the powers of this dark world. And so that's where we come up with this idea of this cosmic conflict, this spiritual warfare that's going on all around us. And now I get it because we live in North America and I would say that we have kind of this materialistic bend within our worldview. And what I mean by that is it's kind of this idea that if I can't see something with my own eyes, if I can't reach out and touch it, it doesn't exist. Okay, but there are things we have to have an awareness that there is a war and a battle that is raging beyond what we can even see with our own eyes. And whenever we flip throughout all of scripture, we actually see this repeated time and time again. But the best place that I can think of actually comes from Daniel chapter 10. And so Daniel chapter 10, he is an Old Testament prophet speaking on behalf of the Jewish people as they are exiled in Babylon. And in Daniel 10, what he's doing is he is praying and he is fasting for 21 days. 21 days he's praying. Like I have a hard enough time praying for 21 seconds all right, he's praying for 21 days and he's sitting there and he's, he's laboring in prayer. And then all of a sudden, an angel appears to him in all of this bold, beautiful splendor. And he comes to Daniel and he says, Daniel, I would have come sooner, but I was fighting against the prince of Persia. And then, you know, this other guy, Michael, the archangel, yeah, he showed up. So now I came to you. And what I want you to know is your prayers have been heard, even in the spiritual realm, even though you can't see it right before you, Your prayers are making an impact and a difference. And so for us, what we need to realize, what we need to have an awareness of is that we are fallen beings living in a fallen world under attack by fallen angels. That's the awareness that we need to have. But if we have that awareness of what's going on around us, the next question then that we ask 
is, well, I need to have an awareness of what I should do amidst this warfare, amidst this cosmic conflict. And so what are we to do? Well, to answer that question, we go back to Paul's words. In fact, there's a word that is repeated four times in here. Uh, I need your help kind of uh, understanding and unpacking. Make some observations with your eyes, all right? This is what Paul says. He says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your... Yeah, let's go. Against the devil's schemes. And then he says, uh, do all this so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to... Your ground. And after you've done everything to... Just in case you missed it, you are too. Come on, y'all are with me. All right, let's go. And so Paul is saying, stand with me uh, so that you can withstand whatever it is that's going to be thrown your way. And then as he continues along in other places, he's going to say, you're to stand with boldness and with assurance for whatever is to come. And I think that this is important because when I kind of approached Ephesians 6 initially, that word stand really kind of helped me to frame up a little bit differently how I viewed this passage. And the question that I want to ask you is this, is our posture supposed to be offensive or defensive? Okay, when you hear that word stand, is it an offensive word or is it a defensive word? Okay, it's a defensive word. Okay, we're called to to really kind of be prepared to stand defensively for whatever is to come our way. Now you might be thinking, okay, why is that important, Zach? Why should I stand whenever everything is coming our way? Are you ready for it? Here's why we should stand. Because the victory has already been won. Yeah, come on, somebody amen on that, all right? The victory has already been won, exclamation mark or exclamation point, whatever it is, okay? The victory has already been won. Okay, you realize this, there is nothing outside of Jesus's jurisdiction and domain that isn't already claimed in his victorious name. I mean, we just sang that song a little bit ago. You have no rival, you have no equal. Yours is the kingdom and the power forever. Okay, nothing can throw off Jesus's victory. Okay, so whenever we think about that, that's why we come to the table today to celebrate and remember communion, because that is how he secured his victory. But for us, for you and me, it's not a reminder like, go take the hill. Why shouldn't we go take the hill? You don't know why? Because the hill has already been taken by Jesus. That's what we can ultimately rest in. That's what we can ultimately see. And so the question that I have for you is this. This is why it matters for our lives. Are you fighting from a position of victory? I want you to be honest with yourself. And I want you to answer, are you fighting from a position of victory? Or are you fighting like you're fighting from being behind? So what happens when we fight from a position of victory? Uh, Well, what happens is uh, we have this confidence, we have this assurance for whatever it is that's before us. But if we're fighting from behind, we can be careless, we can be reckless, we might make mistakes. And I would argue if we're fighting with a mentality like we're fighting from behind, we don't fully grasp and understand the beautiful victory that is already accessible in Jesus. And so friends, if there's nothing else that you leave with today, just leave with that truth that the victory has already been won in Christ. Let that sit in your heart and in your minds each and every day. And may we wake up every morning and just say, Jesus, I know the victory is in you. Help me to live this way. Okay, that's the first point, to have an awareness of Jesus' victory, awareness of what's going on around us, and an awareness to stand boldly for whatever is to come. But now we move into the second point, and I get, you know, there's there's probably another question. You're probably sitting there and you're thinking to yourself, yeah, Zach, that's great. Like, okay, fighting from a position of victory. Why then is everything still so stinking hard? Right? Why is there still temptation that arises around me? If Jesus is already victorious, why is this happening to me? Uh, Well, let's step into that. Uh, There is what theologians call the already 
but not yet. Say that with me. Say already, but not yet. Yeah, so what does that mean? It really means that Jesus is victorious. He's already victorious, but not yet is his victory fully realized until his future millennial reign. And here's the example that I give a lot of times. Okay, back in the day, and when I say back in the day, I'm talking before Facebook, MySpace. Anybody know MySpace? Yeah, okay, anyone under 30 is like, MySpace? Zanga? Any Zanga? Okay. Yeah, before Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, TikTok, well, whatever else there is, before we got the immediate news at our fingertips, right, there would a lot of times be an intermediate stage. The victory would be won, but then word would need to spread throughout the globe that the victory was accomplished. And that's the stage that we are living in right now, this intermediate stage, waiting for Jesus to come back and completely redeem and ransom all of creation. And as we stand here now, we're called to stand with boldness and with assurance in Christ. And he provides for us in this time. He gives us the armor of God that we can put on. And so let's look at these verses here. This is what Paul says. He says, Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand. There we go. You're still with me. Stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then. Here it is. With the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword. Come on, give me that sword, Lord. And the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And so what we see is that as we are living in this intermediate stage, in this defensive posturing, standing in victory, Jesus gives us the armor of God. And what's so beautiful about it is it's really practical and applicable for us. And so each day, what it might mean for you is to wake up and say, God, help me to see your victory and to place the armor of God on in my life. And so what I want to do is I want to walk through these pieces of God's armor. And then I want to give you a little reflection question for you to think about. Because as we think about standing uh, firm and standing in boldness, we, we have to have an understanding uh, of how to do that. Okay, and so there will be a few questions for you as well. But let's dive into the very first piece of the armor of God, which is the belt of truth. Okay, I'm doing this because this isn't from Aaron Rodgers. Okay, this is from the actual king, the actual victor. Okay, any amens on that? Yeah, okay, all right, still with me. Let's go. So what is belt of truth? What is the truth? Why is that important? Well, truth obviously contrasts with falsity, but truth really has this assurance and, and, and this steadiness about it. And I think that Paul is alluding to two different types of truth here. He's talking about an objective truth and a subjective truth. You're like, what does that mean? Well, there's an object of our truth, which is Jesus Christ, who he is and what he has done. And when we start to fasten our lives to that objective truth, that impacts the subjective truth, which is our lives. And so what that means is that we are shaped and we are formed by the character of Christ, that the character of Christ transforms our character. And so here at Westwood, we say that we want to help you be and love like Jesus, that we'll be like him in all things and we can love like him for whoever it is that is before us. And so the belt of truth helps us in that, that we are changed and we are transformed. But why is the belt of truth so important? Well, what happens if your belt snaps? Think about it, but don't say it. All right, pants on the ground. All right, that's what it would be like, okay? But if the, if the belt, like five of y'all got that reference, okay? But if the belt snapped, okay, go back to the armor. The armor would fall all over the place, and then what would happen? 
right? You wouldn't be able to stand boldly. You would be tripping up before you. And so the question that I have for you is this, what in my life trips me up? Okay, as you're trying to stand in boldness and in assurance, you have to be able to acknowledge it. What in my life trips me up? And then bring that truth, bring whatever it is that's tripping you up before the feet of Jesus and say, Jesus, transform my life. Help my character to reflect your character in all things. Help me to fasten on the belt of truth so that when difficulty comes, I may be able to stand, not tripping, but stand in boldness and in assurance. That's the belt of truth. But Paul moves along and he talks next about the breastplate of righteousness. So he's talking about this, this chest uh, of, of righteousness. And there's something right inside your body here, kind of not so much here, not so much there, kind of right around in here. I'll give you a hint. It's the organ, your heart. Okay, your heart is pretty important, uh, I, I would think. And so what Paul is getting at is he's talking about this righteousness that characterizes your heart. And he's talking about this sanctifying work that your heart uh, might be transformed and renewed. And so what he's getting at is he's saying, guard and protect and keep your heart in check. Because what happens then if our heart is left unchecked? Uh, What happens if we allow our hearts and our desires to go whichever way it wants? Our, Our heart will prompt us to love things we shouldn't love to say things we shouldn't say, and to do things we shouldn't do. And so the breastplate of righteousness talks about guarding and protecting your heart. And so the question that I have for you is this, do righteous motives characterize my heart? Okay, whenever I wake up in the morning, am I allowing uh, the the righteous motivations of Christ to, to characterize my heart and my direction for that day? Okay, we're not gonna get it right all the time, but it's always coming back and just keeping a heart check in place, saying, God, once you protect my heart, once you keep my heart in check, so that I might pursue the things of you. And so it's a belt of truth, it's a breastplate of righteousness. But now the third piece of the armor of God uh, speaks about our shoes. It, it talks about having feet fitted with a readiness from the gospel of peace. Okay, now you might be thinking, it's like, ooh, feet fitted with readiness. Like I'm about to run the race. Like give me some of them running shoes, right? That's what we might be thinking. But once again, our posture is defensive. And so what Paul is actually alluding to here is shoes that it's actually kind of like boots that are layered with leather. And they would have had hollow hobnails stuck to the bottom. It would have been almost like modern day cleats. Now, why is this important? Because then what he's getting at, he's saying, you can place your feet in the ground with a different readiness, not a readiness to run, but a readiness for whatever is coming your way so that you can drive your feet into the ground and you can stand your ground. You're not retreating, you're not being pushed back, but those cleats are driving into the ground, allowing you to stand firm therefore. And so the question that I have for you is this, am I standing strong in my convictions? Am I standing strong in my convictions? You know, when we think about the, the war that is raging all around us today, there's a desire to throw off the convictions. But for us, we have to be like Martin Luther, the great Protestant reformer who said, here I stand, I can do no other. With the convictions stirred up from biblical truth and with a heart of love and compassion to others, we have to be ready to stand firm in our convictions. So one, do you know the convictions that you have? And second, are you standing firm in them? Uh, that's what we can see with feet fitted with readiness for Christ. Uh, but next, we keep moving along and we see the shield of faith. Okay, and a little bit about the shield of faith. 
Okay, it would have been probably two or three planks of wood kind of brought together, nailed together, kind of glued together. And it would have had a, a metal piece uh, wrapped around it so that the, the shield wouldn't get damaged if it was dragged along uh, the road there. But then it probably had some type of animal skin uh, kind of covering it. And now you might be thinking, well, why animal skin? Because when we look at this passage here, it says, take up the shield of faith so that you might extinguish any type of flaming arrow. Okay, it's like, okay, blocking arrows is hard enough, but now you got to throw flaming arrows my way? Come on now. But we have this animal skin there that's going to allow us to extinguish anything of that nature. And so when I think about the shield of faith, here's how we can unpack it. You see that word faith in the Greek, it's the word pistuo, which can mean faith or trust or belief. And so taking up the shield of faith is really an act of trust. It's an act of belief. It's an act of faith. And when we think about God, a metaphor that's used for him throughout the Bible is that he is our protector. He is our shield. He is the one who provides for us. And so for us, the question that we can go back to is, is this. Am I trusting God for protection? Am I trusting God for protection and for provision each and every day? Okay, and for some of us that might wake up and each morning just saying like, uh, God, help me to take up the shield of faith. Help me to trust you today, not in anything else, but help me to trust you for the protection for what is before me. Because man, there is so much going on in my life. There is so much that I can't even handle. But God, I look to you and I trust you for whatever is before me. Help me to take the shield of faith and trust you. Paul continues along. He's got two more pieces. He talks next about uh, the helmet of salvation. And he uses a really interesting word. He says, uh, take up the helmet of salvation. And the idea that he's saying here is, is you know, people aren't going to be walking around camp with the helmet on because it's going to blur their vision. But now he's saying, take it up. It's as if he's saying, there's a little bit of urgency, right? The, the, the enemy is at the doorstep. Put it on right now. And so it's just a reminder, we're in this conflict. We're in this battle here and now. But he's saying, put on the helmet of salvation. What does the helmet protect? It protects our mind. It protects our brain. It protects our thoughts. And so Paul is saying, allow your mind to be protected by the work of Jesus. But not only that, set your mind on things of Christ. In other places in, in Paul's writings, he, he says that now we can take every thought captive. And I love what uh, a pastor said. He, he said, um, our life moves in the direction of our greatest thought. And so what is it that fills your mind? You realize that sometimes the greatest battle is the battle waged between your two ears. All right? And so when we think about the helmet of salvation, here's what we can reflect on. Do Christ-like thoughts fill my mind? Am I allowing Christ-like thoughts to, to fill my mind? Whenever lies and, and, and false and slander comes my way, do I allow Christ-like thoughts to fill my mind so that I can think about who he is and what he's done? His beautiful, fully God, fully human nature and the reality that he died in my place, that I might have new life. Do Christ-like thoughts fill my mind? Oh, well, Paul says, take up the helmet of salvation. And then finally, the last piece that he says, now take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Okay, I can just imagine it's, it's this two foot long sword, about two inches wide. Okay, it would have been really hung at their, at their waist so they wouldn't get tripped up. You know, it's kind of like, shring! You know, they could bring it out at a moment's notice because he's using that word, take up the sword because the enemy, once again, it's right here on our doorstep. The enemy is advancing before us, but he's saying, take up the sword of the spirit so that you can combat any falsity, any narrative, that comes your way. Be prepared and understand it. And so for us, the question is this, 
Am I taking hold of God's word? The sword of the spirit, the word of God. Each and every day, are we taking up our sword? And are we wielding it properly? You know, when I think about this, if, if I can be honest with you really quick, the days that I don't get into God's word, when I don't get into understanding his word and, and allow his word to change me and transform me, I am frantic, I am impatient, right? I don't look at people the way God calls me to look at them, and I'm kind of hard to be around. I know that's hard to believe, okay? <laughs> but I can sometimes be hard to be around. I have to allow God's word to change and transform me each and every day. And so when we talk about standing in boldness and assurance, we have to take up God's word. And so that's the same for you as well. You know, we are finishing up the book of Ephesians as a church, but let me tell you something. That doesn't mean that you should be finished with the book of Ephesians in your life. Okay, one of the things that I do, and I'll just give you this to you free of charge. How about that? Uh, whenever I come to, to Paul's letters, Paul's writings, you know, some of these books that are four, five, six chapters long, what I will do is I will take that book and I will read it every day for a month. Okay, so I'm, I'm, I could be reading the book 20, 25, 30 times. And whenever you start to do that, right, you begin to actually uncover new things in the book that you had never seen before. It's not like reading the newspaper where you're just kind of uh, gallivanting through it, right? But you're actually digging into God's word. And so my invitation to you is do that in this next month. Maybe print off a little sheet, Ephesians, day one, day two, day three, read it 20 times. And you will begin to see the book in new ways. And then pick up the Ephesians companion guide as well and study along with it. Let's be a people who are taking hold of God's word, that that will inform our convictions, that that will inform our thoughts, that that will inform how we even take up the shield of faith. And may we be people who each day put on the armor of God to stand boldly and with assurance. And so we see, first of all, it takes an awareness of what's going on around us and awareness of how we're to step into it by putting on God's armor. But the third thing that we see, the third and final point that we see is that it takes an appeal, an appeal. And so Paul goes back to the text and he, and he says these words. Verse 18, he says, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Okay, you see that Paul is actually writing this book from prison. He's in chains. He continues, he says, pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. And so you see there this boldness that Paul is getting at. Uh, but really there's one word that he repeats throughout these few verses. And so I just want to invite you, much like we saw earlier, where he says, take a stand. This, these words are repeated throughout. It's really a thematic element that we can pull out. And so I need your help. Let's make some observations. What is it he says? And, oh yeah, y'all are good. And the spirit with all kinds of, uh, uh, sorry, wow, I cannot read y'all. Okay, let's, let's start over. And, and the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of, and requests. Then he says, and always keep on for all the Lord's people. And he goes on and he says, also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given. Then he goes in, just in case you missed it, pray. pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. So what's the word? What is the posture that we're supposed to have? It is to? Pray. Yeah, y'all got it. All right, that's good. That's great. So yeah, one person like, yeah. <laughs> but let's think about this. How does it relate to standing in the victory of Christ? You know, I think a lot of times whenever we have this defensive posturing, whenever we stand in the victory of Christ, if we're not careful, if we're not cautious, we might tend to coast. 
we might get a little complacent, okay? And I've seen enough sports games to know we all love a come-from-behind victory, do we not? Unless you're the one who's losing, okay? And so what Paul is getting at is he's saying, be alert, have your mind about you. And how do you do that? It is through praying. It's through praying unceasingly for all things. Pray for those who are on mission and pray for yourself as well. But let's be honest. I mean, how hard is praying? Right? A lot of times we get into prayer and it's like, is anyone listening to me? Like, is this effective? Is this making an impact? We go back to the story of Daniel that we said earlier. I mean, he's sitting there praying for 21 days. And finally, after 21 days, an angel appears and he says, your prayers have been heard. Your prayers are making a difference. Your prayers are making an impact. And so think about this. Prayer in its simplest form is conversing with God. I mean, doesn't that just blow your mind a little bit that we can converse with the creator of the universe? But not only that, we can go to God with our requests and say, God, I need your protection and and I need your help and your provision in this time. In fact, prayer is the greatest weapon that we can leverage for the warfare and the conflict that is before us. In fact, we could ultimately say this, prayer gives us the power and the confidence to stand in victory. Okay, prayer gives us the power uh, to, to stand in victory. It gives us the confidence. It gives us the assurance in all things. And so when we think about this, I, I think about how this has been applied here at Westwood. In fact, recently we had a team return from Moldova just in the last few weeks. And there was a team of leaders who showed up and they said, we want to go be the hands and feet of Jesus right next to a war-ridden country of Ukraine because we see that there are many Ukrainians uh, fleeing the conflict there, and they're flooding into Moldova. And so this team went, they went into harm's way, but as they went, they went with the boldness, with the confidence, with the power, because we had a team staying back here, constantly beseeching and praying as they went. And and we could be here all morning, all afternoon, talking about the amazing stories of God's provision through this team. But I I just want to share with you one story. They had landed there and they needed to cross over into Moldova via ground transportation. And so they came up to really the the border patrol there. And this was a make or break moment. You see, because our team was bringing in about 400 pounds of multivitamins. They wanted to go in and serve these people. And one of the guards came out and and he was just doing his job, just kind of looking around and he opened up the bag and, oh, oh, there's 400 pounds of multivitamins there. What are you trying to do with these? But our team, one of the other things that they did is they put together hearts and encouraging notes And they placed it there on top of the multivitamins. And another guard came around and he saw what was in the bag. He looked down and he looked up. He looked back down again and he smiled. And he said, they are here to help. Let them through. And our team in boldness and fearlessness moved forward. Our team here was praying for them as they journeyed along so that they could be the hands and feet of Jesus to men, women, and children who are experiencing this crisis at their doorstep. And so for us, our purpose in this Christian life is to go and proclaim the victory in Jesus, saying, see the victory that is before you. Understand it. It's right here at your fingertips. And so I just want to encourage you, this appeal that we have, this, this prayer that we have is for you and for me, for all of us, because you do realize this, is there is a warfare going on for your life, 
for your spouse's life, for your kid's life, for your grandkids' life. There's warfare going on for our community. There's warfare trying to rip our churches apart. And we are called to pray that there might be boldness and fearlessness to proclaim the victory in Christ. There's nothing that Satan hates more than whenever we stand here and we say, victory belongs not to you, but to Jesus. All right, that's what we're called to do. Amen that, come on. Not for me, but for Christ. And so what we can see here is this, man, pray for yourself. Yes, absolutely, God, I, I need these things, but pray sometimes the greatest prayer is for those around you. It's praying for those in your immediate sphere of influence, that they might know and grasp the victory of Christ. And so as we wrap up, I just want to ask you this, what is your posture when it comes to conflict? Is it fight? Is it flight? Or is it to stand boldly right in the thick of it? having an awareness that there is a conflict going on, but having the awareness that Christ is victorious over it all, that he gives us an armor to stand boldly, and he gives us a posturing to make an appeal and to pray to the Lord that we might all know the victory of Christ. So how is it then that we know the victory of Christ? Well, it's by coming to this table today. It's by receiving of communion, these elements in our hands. Because we recognize that the victory was secured not with sword and stone, but it was secured with bloodshed. The very blood of Jesus Christ poured out for you and for me that in his death, we might now have new life. And so friends, let that permeate and sit in your hearts today. And I realize that for some here and those joining us online and at our campuses, you may never have had the chance to understand what is this victory in Christ? What is it all about? How do I attain it? Well, the victory is accessible to us. All we have to do is admit, admit that Jesus is King and Lord, that he's the ultimate victor. Believe with our hearts and with our mouths and confess we're going to follow him and we're going to hold on tight to his victory. And so friends, may we take of this bread and this cup now with glad and sincere hearts for who Jesus is and what he's done in our lives. Will you please stand with me as we pray together? Gracious Father, we thank you so much for your son, Jesus, that he came and he lived a perfect life, that he is ultimately our victor, that he is the king, that he faced Satan face to face for 40 days in the wilderness, and he came out victorious. And so may we see and grasp and understand his victory each day for our lives. And Lord, I realize that there are some here who have never understood or had the chance to respond to your victory. And so, Lord, I pray now, even in this moment, that they will soften their hearts. And so, friends, if that's you, I just invite you. Admit, admit that there is no victory outside of the victory in Christ. Believe that he is king and that he is Lord and Savior and confess with your hearts and with your mouth to follow him all the days of your life. And so Lord, as we take this bread and this cup, may we do so for our good and ultimately for your glory. We pray all this in the beautiful, matchless name of Jesus and by the power of the spirit and all God's people said,